It's an incredible food. Eight times the omega-3s of salmon. It has four times the protein of macadamia nuts. It has all night essential amino acids. It's like an absolute complete food and nobody knows what it is. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast, the place where we shine a light on the innate brilliance of humanity and have a lot of fun blowing up the illusions that get in our way. I'm excited to be joined by two people today. First of all, my usual co-host, Mr. Mark Billows-Bilby, and he shall introduce who's with us as well. It's a brother. How are you? I'm good, my friend. I'm good. It's uh, it's a snowy day here in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. We're expecting a, a good foot, which uh, is unusual. Um, and hopefully it sticks around so we can go do some magical cross-country skiing in, in, in the woods. But um, on the other side of the continent uh, sits a man who uh, is, uh, has just been for a run on the beach and a dip in the water uh, and the beautiful Pacific Ocean. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show uh, Tucker Garrison. A little bit of a, a background story on, on our relationship and, and how we met. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Tucker, I think about a year ago, uh, just under a year ago, when um, the family office that I work with um, um, made an investment in uh, his company. And he is the co-founder of Imlakesh Organics and, uh, and recently launched uh, Chi Foods, which is a delicious... I must add, uh, plant-based protein uh, meat or meat protein alternative. But Tucker and I got chatting, and we—I think we met for lunch, and we were sort of understanding his journey. And and the more he spoke, the more I just sort of sat back, and I just became sort of over overawed by his amazing energy and and his his amazing sort of spirit, because. You know, he's this larger-than-life character. He he embodies the California surfer dude, but he's got this kind of wonderful glint in his eye, and you just know that there's a story begging to be told. Um, and uh, and it turns out he is a global adventurer, and and similar to one of my heroes, Bruce Chatwin. You know, he kind of quit his job and said, "I'm going to South America," and bought a one-way ticket and. And, uh, and I, I don't think it was Patagonia, but, uh, he ended up in, in, in South America and started to experience life there and started to get into the foods and understanding some of the superfoods that, that, uh, were, were available. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then decided to go and pursue this, this kind of path and explore the healing power of these incredible foods and, and ended up in Peru. And, and then he spent some time there with the Shapibo Indians uh, uh, down in the Amazon. He spent a lot of time up in the, in the Chile Highlands um, and, um, and, and went on this incredible journey. And then he went back to California and he got hold of some of his mates from college and said, hey, uh, I've got an idea let's uh let's start a uh, a company where we uh basically bring in 
uh, these amazing organic superfoods and uh, and start making people aware of their incredible healing properties and and powers and so that then led to Imlakesh Organics and then what spun out of there is is Chi Foods and they're having some remarkable success which I'm sure Tucker will be telling us about but um mate it's 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 super cool to have you on the show um and uh I can't wait to hear some of the detail of your story that I haven't even heard. Um, and, uh, and, and more importantly, I'm super chuffed that you're here because I know that during the course of this amazing adventure and the incredible businesses that you're, you're busy building, you've had these, these awakenings. You've seen things about the human condition and, and about life and you've experienced them firsthand and uh and I can't I can't wait for you to share what what you've seen so welcome it's awesome to have you I love it well thank you so much for the kind words of introduction it really means the world and um delighted to be on here with you both um it's it's really an absolute pleasure um how do I follow that work you know we'll, we'll <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, I guess I can only begin by saying that, you know, I've had um, the incredible privilege of spending quite a few years of my adult life uh, living with Native and Indigenous people uh, around the world and, and spent a lot of that time with, with no running water and electricity. Um, I've spent almost three years of my life with no running water or electricity. And you know, that alone kind of changes your entire view of um, what's possible and how the world works and how humanity kind of interacts with their environment, with nature, with their sense of possibility. Um, and, you know, I think it's one thing to say and it's another thing to experience uh, the incredible diversity of humanity um, and the credible biodiversity of this planet. Right. And, um, I'm an eternal optimist, you know, like that's, it's, it's, I think my greatest strength and maybe possibly also my flaw, but, um, you know, I truly believe that we as a, as a species and our, our incredible ingenuity has the capability of, of overcoming the challenges that we are in. And so as we kind of maybe talk about some of the things I've experienced and why I've ended up on the side of really working in regenerative business and agriculture, I want people to remember that I believe that there's a way through. Um, and that in order to do that, we're going to have to show up um, in ways that I don't think human beings have been used to showing up for quite some time. You know, we've, we've inherited a legacy of a planet that really needs a lot of uh, um, support or at least to have us get out of the way. Um, and a lot of those lessons have been learned from sitting at the feet of indigenous people. And, you know, really my first experience of that was, uh, I, I spent, um, a while living in Guatemala actually with, um, uh, with the Kachikel and the Sudohil people. Um, and they're basically Mayan, Mayan people. There are actually 23 uh, indigenous languages spoken in Guatemala alone. And um, many different, different diverse branches of that kind of family of indigenous communities. And, you know, to be 
with people that remember the old ways um, is a kind of profound thing. And it had this, it had a deep effect on me um, to be with people, you know, for me being that I run a superfoods company and very interested in plants that really, um, that understand like, and, and feel the stories of every plant. They see the medicinal aspects of it and, and all these elements. And, you know, I can remember this, this, you know, talking about experiences that kind of changed my life. This is kind of a small one, but I was living with this family, um, this Mayan family, and they were actually teaching me how to weave on a backstrap loom, which is this traditional style of how they weave their textiles and their fabrics. And in the afternoon, I would usually go on a hike up through um, Lake Atitlan up into the mountains. And their son, who was eight, um, wasn't allowed to go to the top of the mountain by himself, but he would I was allowed to go with me for some reason, even though I didn't know the way. I had no idea where I was going. I was probably a total liability. Um, and we would walk, we would walk up through the, you know, the path up to the top of the mountain. And he would stop and he would be like, you know, and of course this is all in Spanish. And he's like, you know, this plant is, you know, Cuello de Caballo, which is horsetail or whatever it is. And this is what it's good for. And these are like you know, like our ancestors that are connected to it and all these pieces. And this eight-year-old boy knew probably 50 plants and their medicinal uses. And it was just profound to me that somebody had that kind of knowledge at that age. And you realize that what an eight-year-old has in America or in Europe is they can recognize 50 brands in the products that they sell, right? It's a pretty different worldview. And so for me, that was like this early moment of being profoundly influenced by um, the cultural knowledge of people that have remembered things and passed them down since the dawn of time. And you know, in many ways, that's kind of the journey that I've continued into my my business life, which we can get into in a little bit. But you know, that's just a little early snippet of you know my days traveling the globe. Tucker. Um- yeah, there's so much. There's so much in that little snippet that I want to dive into. I'd love to just bring you back, just right to the beginning of that for a second, because um, something you said actually just before we we kind of came on to record about you know we all make choices, and I'm interested into like the choice to you know head to Guatemala, and I can just imagine. Well, actually, I heard in my own head, I was like, oh wow, well you know that's that's brave or that's, you know, it's, that's putting yourself out there. I'm just curious, what, what's the, what's the preamble that led you to that point and, and, uh, of, of making that choice? And I'm just curious what, what was there? It's a great question. Um, you know, I've always kind of been, uh, an adventurous and kind of insurrectionary spirit. You know, when somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that thing. Um, or if it's a good idea, um, you know, or when someone tells you something's impossible, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to try to solve that. Um, but I, but I believe strongly that the way that we grow is by experiencing discomfort, you know, and that doesn't mean you need to like choose pain and struggle, but it means that, um, when you feel something or know something internally, whether it's in your internal dialogue or just something you feel in your body, like saying yes to those things whenever you can is really important. And, um, you know, I describe it as like, you know, this may sound esoteric, but it's like this tug in your heart. It's like this knowing this thing that you need to do 
even though it's scary. Um, and I think that oftentimes we're like, I think modern people are way too comfortable, you know, especially in the industrialized world. And I'm not saying that everybody in the world is comfortable because there's a lot of struggle out there, but that, that sense of, of, um, needing to go and like explore and actually like, um, have your, have your, the evolution of who you're supposed to become, uh, is decided in those moments of, of, um, hardship struggle and trying to make choices that are actually going to change who you are and like evolve who you are. And, um, you know, I, I think depending on how that comes, it's like for different, for different people, it can be like, um, some type of body practice, movement practice. For some people, it's psychedelics. For some people, it's like a religious or spiritual awakening. For some people, it may be athletics. Um, you know, it's it's not like there's one answer to that question. But for me, um, I just knew that there were missing pieces in in my understanding of of the world, and that I wanted to live with people that remembered. You know, and now I've gone all over the planet. And I lived in the Solomon Islands off the coast of Papua New Guinea um, with the Morovans and Roviana people, um, which is way out there. That's probably the wildest place I've ever been. Um, and then as Mark mentioned, um, with the Shipibo and the Amazon and, you know, I've traveled all over Peru um, and lived in the jungle for quite some time. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it changes you. So, And Tucker, when, when you sort of saw what you saw and you know and and i think that that story of you taking the eight-year-old your eight-year-old host up the mountain and and just being sort of profoundly affected by his knowledge of of the local um biodiversity did you ever think to yourself I'm going to stay, I'm, I want to stay in this place for the rest of my life. Or were you sort of, were you on this quest where you were like, there's something here, I've seen something and I need to get this back to, to my world. I'm going to fast forward to answer your question to, um, you know, I've, I, uh, lived in Guatemala and then I actually, um, went to Indonesia and I was in Bali and then all over Thailand. That was a relatively shorter trip. But then when I was living in the Solomon Islands in this little village, um, and then I came home again, then I was like, then I threw my life to the wind and I moved to Peru. And that was on the one-way ticket in a backpack. And I said, I don't know what I'm here to do with my life, but I'm, I'm here to be of service to something. I know Peru is the next place. Um, and I spent the better part of, the, of a year living in the Amazon, um, rainforest and with no running water and electricity. And I was there, um, drinking ayahuasca, working with the medicine with Shipibo people, which is, you know, its own, its own whole story, which we can get into if you guys want to, but it really was that moment of, I don't know if I'm coming back, you know, and I had broken up with my partner and moved out of my house, but my job was like, it totally threw my life to the wind. You know, I didn't have very much money and I was just like, here I go. Um, and that was the, that was to answer your question. That was the moment of like, I really don't know if I'm coming back. Um, and 
after many, and, and for a long, long time, I was like, I think this is where I'm going to be. I think I'm going to stay here. And at some point, I got a very clear message that I couldn't stay out here in the jungle and kind of like hide from the world, if you will. Um, and that, you know, my unique cultural upbringing of being, you know, an American and a white person and a like gay queer person growing up in the United States and like all of the education that I have and the skill set that I have, what basically the message was like, you would be selfish to stay here in this place when you're capable of creating so much change. And that in order to do that, you actually have to move back to America because that's where the conduit for change is going to happen. And it was a really, really strong message. And I kind of resisted it because I was like, "Ah, but man, I want to stay here, you know, but if you're going to, you know, if you're going to try to shift the status quo and like I say, kind of light fires in Babylon, then you got to be in Babylon. So uh, here (laughs) here I am. I love it, but what what I was scratching at there, and I, I you kind of you kind of pointed straight at it, which which I'm delighted about, is you know, I and I don't want to make assumptions, and and I'd love to hear your version of this, but but I would imagine that like when you've lost your partner or you've broken up with your partner, you've lost, you know, you've sold everything, you you're just hitting the road. There's a lot of noise in your head. There's a lot of there's there's a there's a narrative that's running and and you know there's probably not a lot of peace of mind and then you find yourself in a place and whether it's on a beach in Bali or in a small town in the Solomon Islands or with the with this unique group of people in Peru, I would imagine that a transformation happens in that there, there's a, a presence creeps in and you suddenly shift from you know, Radio Tucker blaring loudly in your pip to being acutely aware of everything around you, whether you're experimenting with, you know, hallucinogens or not, you're going to see what you're going to see because you, you can't help but be present in some of those situations. And then you increasingly spend time there. And, and from that place, you access your wisdom. And and what I heard you say was my wisdom came through and said, hey, you need to you need to go and be an agent of change back in your world. Is that a is that a kind of fair comment to make? And I'm I'm curious about that journey for you. Yeah, I think it's uh I think it's pretty spot on, um, I would say. And you know, to get specific about it, I was living in the Amazon rainforest and I was working with uh, a native woman, um, learning more about plants and, you know, some of the amazing things that the Amazon rainforest has to offer, right? I mean, there are 80,000 species of astrative plants in the Amazon rainforest. Over half of the world's biodiversity um, exists there alone. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll get back to your question in a second, but, you know, most of us, um, are taught that the Amazon is kind of this wild, you know, jungle that it, you know, it's kind of untouched by humans. But the truth is that the reason the Amazon is the Amazon is that it has been gardened, right. For tens of thousands of years, right. 
not the way we think of gardening, not like, you know, where Al is, where the Queen's Gardens and nice little rows that put little hedges and little monoculture rows of stuff. But like the whole jungle has been gardened in this big agroforestry system. So as I'm sitting in the jungle working with this woman, she introduced me to uh, the Sacha Inchi nut um, and to the Macombo bean which are these two rainforest super nuts that I've since dedicated the last 11 years of my life to amongst other things. And, um, it really was, you know, when it says like, you know, the, the euphemism that like, you know, the, the, a great tree grows from a single seed. I think that that's, that's really what (laughs) this is where it's like, here's this one seed, this one nut. And, um, it was this, this, kind of aha moment that catalyzed what you're describing, which is that, oh my, you know, having been very interested in food and kind of functional foods for years before this, my mission is to start in Lakesh Organics, which is, you know, the superfoods company that we run today. Um, and that that superfoods company is going to bring, um, I would, I guess I would say traditional and uh, exotic, traditional foods to people and exotic foods to the United States. Um, and really build a bridge between two worlds, right? And so we really have tried to create unique um, and kind of non-commodity foods um, that are super nutritious and really build this bridge between Native and Indigenous communities and um, and people that want to eat those foods, and mostly in the United States, um, and really care about the health and nutrition aspect, but also where those foods are coming from and how they affect people in place. And so you know, the Sacha Inchi nut was this total aha moment of like no one in the in the Western world's ever heard of this thing. I mean, it is what it is. It's an incredible food, right? I mean, it has eight times the omega threes of salmon. It has four times the protein of macadamia nuts. Um, it has all night essential amino acids. It's like a, a absolute complete food, and nobody knows what it is. At least in the Western world, right? Indigenous people have been eating it since the dawn of time, and that was really that aha moment of like, this is the unlock of like, you're saying the wisdom unlock of, well, I think I have the skill set to be able to start a company that's able to uh, support the growing of this food, the regeneration of rainforest and, and the support, economic support of people that, that need it um, and connect that to the global marketplace, right? Um, and I think the last thing I'll say on that is that I'm aware one as a European white person, you know, I'm Norwegian by heritage, that people like me that look like me have shown up in places like where we source from for the last 500 years, um, wreaking havoc and causing cultural and environmental degradation. And a huge part of our work is hopefully to um, reverse that cycle and actually create um, co-supportive long-term relationships and um, regenerative systems that are actually supporting both the ecosystem and the people where it's grown. And that that's, that's a core part of our mission and what we do. In, in line with that, I guess you said um, before, you know, spending time with people who knew the old ways. And I loved this turn of phrase, living with people who, re- who remember what what do you what do you mean by that and i'm specifically interested in the context of what you just said there about connecting these two worlds together like what what do you see what did you learn or what do you see that there's to learn from the old ways that perhaps the you know particularly modern western society is just 
it's, it's been lost to its consciousness. A question I probably ask myself every week is, um, what have we lost so we can gain what we have, right? You know, I think our worldview, meaning the Western worldview, um, has done incredible things and there's no reason to diminish the accomplishments of that, you know, that thinking process, right? I mean, the reason we're talking to each other, you know, thousands of miles away right now is by virtue of that type of thinking, right? I mean, it, you know, it has put people on the moon and created airplanes and all of the amazing things that it's done. Um, but what have we, what have we lost? You know, what, what have we given up in exchange for that? And, and I think part of it is, did we actually need to give those things up? Right. Um, I mean, some of them are big things and some of them are small things, but I'll just, you know, I'll I'll give you two examples. Um, you know, one thing that you experience in tribal culture when you live in a village, um, which kind of seeps into you a little bit is this, this idea of like cradle to grave security, right? This sense that like from the moment that I'm born to the moment that I die, my people have my back. Not like my family has my back or like I'll be taken care of by the institutions of the government or whatever it may be, but like that from the moment you're born to the moment you die, the like pact that an indigenous community has with one another is that we take care of our own, right? And part of that is actually the insular nature of the sense of like, you know, I'm Shipibo instead of being Warani, right? And, and, but imagine for a second that you, um, you weren't saving for retirement because you knew you were taken care of. Imagine if you knew you were never going to end up in an old folks home, right? Um, imagine if you knew that your cousins and your aunts and your uncles and people that aren't even your blood relatives were going to be there for you, right? Imagine if you knew that your children, regardless of whether they were in your sight, were being cared for by someone in the village where you live. That's profoundly different than the way that we live, right? Where we've taken those systems and we've either decided we're going to we that we need to pay people to do them like childcare for example or taking care of your aging parents right um or we've um we've we've kind of proffered them to the institutions right we've said oh my children now they're going to go to school so i don't need to teach them anything or their uncle or their other family member or someone in the village right um, so that cradle to grave security, I think, is probably one of the biggest things that we have lost as a culture, right? And that's why there's there's no such thing as a homeless person. It doesn't exist. The idea, the concept that that could happen is impossible in that world, right? So that's just one example, I think, of of what we've given up in exchange for YouTube. <laughs> Uh, you know but hot showers are nice i will admit you know (laughs) i would give up i'd give up hot showers for that kind of love and security any day any day well and you know and i think al because we're probably going to go to other places you know I, i would like to say one more thing on that and that's that 
you know, I think all of us have had the experience of in the Western world of like standing somewhere that's kind of like anywhere America or anywhere England or anywhere South Africa, where it's like where, you know, there's, you know, it's like you're standing in some parking lot and there's like the same cars and a Panda Express and a FedEx store and like a grocery store selling the same thing. And it's just like a McDonald's on the corner. It's like, we're that kind of like McWorlding model of like the, the homogenization and corporatization of the world, you know, it, it is extremely obviously unhealthy to, um, I think our well being, right. Uh, the planet's well being, our own psychological well being. And, you know, you think about 150 years ago, only 150 years ago. And obviously with ever increasing amounts going back that, you know, in Japan, there were almost everyone was walking around in a kimono in their traditional dress, right? In the Maya were planting the corn of their ancestors that they've stewarded for 5,000 years, wearing their traditional weepils, right? That there are 6,000 languages spoken on this planet today, and over half of them are endangered of going extinct, and we're losing one every single week, right? It's like, the last elders that spoke that language is gone. And it's like, what, what leaves with them? Like the knowledge of how all of humanity has managed to evolve through hardship is held in all of those languages and all those answers, you know, and like Wade Davis is one of my mentors who's led to a lot of my thinking and helped me to understand the experiences that I've had. But is that worth it? You know, is it worth it to lose that so that we can, you know, eat fast food or, you know, drive around the cars. And I think like my resounding answer is that it's somewhere in between and that we've got to find a way to, to, um, not, um, force the diversity, the cultural diversity and the biodiversity of humanity out in order to, you know, satisfy profits or whatever you want to call it. Right. And so, um, Al, I think you, you know, you ask a really good question, which is like, you know, what, I, I, coming back to this thing of like, what have we lost and what have we gained and is it worth it? I think there's, um, in something what you said to before as well, for me, it's kind of ironic that we talk about security and yet, you know, in those societies, people, it's just there by default, cradle to grave. And yet you talk to so many people in modern, the modern world and what they're craving is security craving freedom and i think there's an illusion here which is the illusion of comfort you know the 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 illusion of what comfort is and what comfort isn't you know comfort is you can get food from anywhere in five minutes on a back of a moped it's uh you know like you said it's it's the generic homogenized version of comfort and yet it's almost like that that is what, what I find within so many of them, me included, where, where you start to really start to see through the thin veil of that illusion. And I just wonder how much of it comes back to what you said, that actually the, the real comfort we want is in choosing discomfort. And, and actually, when you do that, that's part of a gateway back to, um, to finding ourselves. I don't know if that's a little bit too much of a leap, but that's what, that's what I hear and what you say. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm no Luddite. I'm certainly not advocating that people give up their cell phones or, you know, 
stop getting on airplanes. I think it's just simply a question of like, how do we make choices that connect us back to the cycle of life rather than disconnect us from the cycle of life, right? Um, and there's a lot of small and big choices that we make that are gonna that are gonna lead us there. But you know, and and for me, you know, I think each one of us, at least for me, as I supposedly have matured as a human being, I've recognized that you can't affect everything. Um, and that you can't, everything that you care about isn't something that you can take action on. But for us, we've chosen that food, you know, my partner, um, Philip and I, who we run our company together, you know, we've chosen that food is our lens. Food is the thing that we've said, this is something that we can affect that's going to create a positive change in the world. And I hope that there's, you know, and I, and I know, I don't just hope, I know that there are people working on, you know, water and rainforest growth and, you know, supporting the languages of the world and supporting indigenous rights and LGBTQ rights and the whole, like all of the things that, um, I think make humans humans. Um, and, but for us, we said, all right, we're going to go in with the lens of food. And a lot of what we do is take these really heritage foods, right. And, and, give them a chance to thrive and actually have a culture be uh, proud of and earn a living from having part of their cultural heritage um, expressed into the world. Um, and, you know, that's kind of one of the, the core things, right? I mean, if you, look at, if you look at the way culture is built, and this is a gross oversimplification, it's like most of it is uh, there's language, right? There's music, there's dress and custom, and, and food are these huge elements of, you know, kind of these pillars of what it is and what a culture kind of foundation is rested on and how it grows and evolves. And so for us, we've chosen that to be food and hopefully part of the experience of people um, enjoying our, our, our products uh, and supporting is that they get to experience just a little taste of, you know, the Amazon rainforest, right? Or, you know, 14,000 with Sachin Chirgo Combo or 14,000 feet in the mountains where our maca grows, right? Um, by the, you know, the Quechua, the, the Lama and Alpaca herding people of Andes. And so, you know, that's part of my wish is that a little bit of that story and that people experience their own health and well-being through eating those products. And that's just kind of the lens that we've kind of focused on. And there's so many places that, you know, um, that people are supporting, uh, supporting biodiversity and cultural diversity in the world. And, and Taki, you know, you and, and Philip and, uh, and, and your team, when you came back from, from your adventure and, and decided to put this into the world, like I, I would imagine that there weren't a hell of a lot of people doing what you were doing. Um, certainly not sourcing the, the types of superfoods that you were sourcing and, and being as doggedly protective over your supply chain and the communities that you were empowering. Um, and, and maybe this is an unfair question for an eternal optimist, but uh, you, you're immersed in this amazing world where, you know, there, there is a growing consciousness. I mean, you can't, you can't 
turn on Netflix now without seeing something about you, you know, you are what you eat or the food, you know, the, 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 the food supply chain and, and how we're, we're destroying the planet. Are you, given who you're rubbing shoulders with, given the access you have to the community that you do and, and the things that you're seeing, are you seeing a profound shift in consciousness or is it still kind of too fringy? And you mean like kind of here in the uh, Western world, developed world in terms of... Yep. I think we are steadily moving in the right direction. Um, and, you know, like the... I, I'm 35, so I kind of grew up like 90s, 90s, early 2000s kid. And I think we hit the crescendo of like the ego waffle and like you know, the gushers and the lunchable era was like, we hit some kind of peak of, of that like industrial food model, um, and everything that came with it. Not to say that it's sunsetted by any means. I mean, it's still the dominant paradigm, but, um, the awareness that has grown from a lot of the films that have come out, you know, like, uh, if you haven't seen common ground, it's the new regenerative agriculture movie that just came out you know, or, or cowspiracy or just some of these films that really highlight, um, what's happening in agriculture. Right. And, you know, I don't know that we have time to get into all of that, but, you know, kind of the big industrial monocultures where they're spraying tons of toxic chemicals and pesticides and glycophosphate, you know, they're GMO, very genetically modified crops. Um, my hope is that the the culture meaning mostly western culture is saying enough is enough right and we're we're on the way out of that paradigm which is so unbelievably destructive to our uh, to our own human health our gut health our microbiome health to planetary health to soil health right and that we're entering into a phase we already entered that phase but that we're in a rapidly growing moment where um, again, people are reconnecting to the cycle of life in terms of food production and agriculture rather than how we can create a box around it and say like full command and control. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think we're on our way there, you know, but we've got a, we've got a long ways to go, but there are these small interventions that can change entire systems very quickly. No, I mean it, it. It it was alarming, you know. I was I was watching that show on Netflix the other day, and and um, called "You Are What You Eat." The experiment with the uh, with the twins. I don't know if you've seen it, but th- they were sort of showcasing um, really good practices around uh, regenerative regenerative um, cattle uh, raising and 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 carbon sequestration into the ground through proper um pasture rotation for for beef and what have you and then comparing that obviously to feedlots and um and they were basically saying that in order to satisfy the demand for beef currently in the US alone um they would have to take every square inch of of soil in America um you know, wipe out the cities, wipe out the towns, and just turn it all to pasture in order to meet supply. I mean, demand, and it still wouldn't be enough. 
And so they would still have to revert to, you know, outside outside supply and it would it would result in what's happening in the Amazon as an example, where large tracts of land are being turned into pasture, overgrazed and then abandoned and for new tracts of land. And it's and so to your point, you know, at some point people are gonna hopefully make the the shifts and and I, I know that certainly in my circle, um beyond the fascination that so some of the the people I hang out with have around these topics, there's just a growing awareness for sure, where I see people less and less, you know, championing the the old ways and 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 making a case for for profound change. So that is encouraging, but it 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 must be it must be very exciting for you being at the, you know, as part of the vanguard of this seeing this this infusion into the broader consciousness um, and seeing some positive change it must be it must make make your heart sing yeah it, it really does and you know I think we're we're all part of that movement and you know I think mark that's probably a great segue into talking a little bit about I'll, I'll discuss that topic kind of a little bit through the lens of chief foods which is second company that we um, that we founded and just say that, you know, one of the, pro- well, probably the biggest question we have uh, in terms of feeding humanity is going to be the protein transition, right? And I, and I really, really believe that 100 years from now, our grandchildren are going to grade us on whether we got the protein yeah, transition. I agree with that. Um, meaning how do we sustainably and ideally regeneratively feed humanity um, it's proteins, it's protein, right? Um, and I know we're running short on time, but I think this analogy is going to be really potent for the viewers. And I thank Tom, the, the amazing thinker and inventor designer, Tom Chi for this thought. And, you know, he talks, he talks about ants, right? So roughly speaking, there's about, uh, and don't fully quote me on these numbers, but I think I'm right. There's about 350 million tons of biomass of humans on the planet. Meaning if you weighed every human on the planet, we have about 350 million tons. It just so happens that there are about 350 million tons of ants also on the planet. We roughly share the same biomass as ants. Um, Because of uh, how much we eat relative to our weight, ants actually eat almost 10 times as much as we do, right? Because an ant eats like its body weight every day, whereas we might only eat like two to four pounds of food a day. Um, so ants consume 10 times the amount of biomass that humans do on the planet, right? But no, there's no headlines going on today. Like you can search the internet to the end of time. There will not be a crisis, ants destroying the planet due to overconsumption. Pra- <laughs> you know, practices of ants ruining the earth, right? Yet they are consuming 10 times as much food as we do. They are also omnivores, just like us, right? Eating a mixed plant and and uh, an animal diet. Why is that the case, right? Well, it's because they are farming the planet in a way that is regenerative to the ecosystems that they interact with, right? They are providing as much or more ecosystem services back to the environment as they are giving, and so. 
when I think about how we can possibly do this, what we need to do is create 10% of the food supply that ants do via regenerative farming in order to feed the planet, feed humanity on this planet. And so when you talk about the protein transition from that lens, all of a sudden it becomes much more approachable and um, acceptable to think like, wow, they're all, there's, there's literally a model of how this is done already, right? It's a colony species that lives in super dense environments that ventures out to places and brings back the sustenance that it needs back to its city, right? Um, in an omnivorous fashion. So when I think about the protein transition, and again, I've said this a couple times, but it's again, it's about connecting to the cycle of life, right? When you try to interrupt the cycle of life and command and control and say, we're going to grow one crop for 10,000 acres and we're going to spray it with pesticides so not a single weed, you know, can, not a single pest can grow and not a single weed can come in because of the herbicides. That just doesn't work. I'm sorry. Like it's worked temporarily. It's worked for 50 or 70 years for this little blip of time, but that is not the pathway forward about how we're going to get this done. Right. And so, you know, running a plant-based company and a, a plant-based superfood company and a plant-based meat company now with Chi Foods, um, you know, I don't, I believe that plant-based is a huge, plant-based meat and plant-based foods are going to be a huge part of the answer to that transition, but I'm not, um, you know, personally coming at it from the everyone needs to be plant-based on the planet. I think that regenerative grazing of animals and livestock is absolutely part of the equation moving forward, but how can we create that mixture? What I'm, what I'm against is the, you know, the confined feedlots, right? The CAFO feedlots um, where they grow industrial corn and soy covered in pesticides to then feed it to cows where they're tightly confined. What I'm against is those is deforesting the Amazon rainforest and slashing and burning the rainforest to grow soybeans, right? What I'm against is destroying the topsoils of the Midwest um, to, you know, grow genetically modified corn, right? What I'm fighting for, and I always believe in fighting for things instead of against things um, when it comes down to action, is I'm for medium-sized regenerative grazing operations of animals that are native to the landscape ideally like buffalo like bison right at least in in this context um in other places reindeer and elk um you know in some contexts probably sheep and cattle um what i'm for is diverse plant-based foods that are made from real food um and are not hyper processed and are actually digestible and good for people and you know Frankly, our frustration with the plant-based meat space and kind of all these hyper-processed, you know, foods. I mean, you look at, you know, Impossible Foods. It's like it's genetically modified soy that's, you know, probably slash and burn farmed from the Brazilian Amazon or from the U.S. and it's, you know, filled with other GMOs and a bunch of sketchy weird ingredients, right? Like that's not connecting to the cycle of life, right? It might be like a step in the right direction in terms of plant-based, but that's not going to get us where we're going. And so what we did with Chi Foods to try to put a flag in the sand in the plant-based meat space, which I think we've been very successful doing in the two years that we've been doing it, um, is use real food. Imagine that. Um, and so we actually use the Sacha Inchi nut, which is where Chi Foods comes from, Sacha Inchi. Um, and 
we grow the nut in Thailand and in South America um, with our with our partner farmers, and we've created like a whole food certified organic plant based meat um, that's actually supporting biodiversity, that's supporting soil health, and thus those aspects are supporting human health, right? And providing like nourishing, delicious, protein filled plant based meat. And so, I'm envisioning a world moving forward where if we can get, you know, as m- as many kind of products and offerings like what Chi Foods is creating in the plant-based meat space and, and and transition to a more regenerative grazing and animal model that's much more sustainable, um, at least to start before it reaches, you know, it's re- a regenerative potential, that that's how we're going to create the protein transition and that we need to keep looking to the ants. <laughs> um, Tucker, you, you've talked about, uh, there's so much, I love all of that. And I sit here though as probably the most uneducated person on this in this conversation relative to what we're talking about. And so I, I think about that then in terms of th- the thing you said, you know, choices that support the cycle of life. And then I think about me or I think about our listener driving their car, going for a walk, listening to this conversation and thinking, yeah, okay. What, and, and what are the what are the choices that I can make? And I wonder if you can help people see some of the really simple choices that might be right in front of their noses. They're like, you know, if more of us make these simple choices, these are the choices that take us in the direction of the cycle of life and give us the best chance of, you know, actually having our children and our children's children look, look at us and go, not bad. Like you didn't, you didn't screw it up. You, you did the protein transition pretty well. So I'm just curious if there's any simple choices that you can point people to that can, that, that are, are easily accessible for them. Yeah, it's a great question, Al. You know, I certainly don't have stars in my eyes that this is easy. And I get that, um, you know, that we're all challenged every day, whether we have, um, you know, financial challenges or family challenges, all the things that kind of stand in the way of, of, you know, trying to make the choices we want to make. But, um, you know, I think first and foremost for all of the, the, the problems that capitalism has, and it's done amazing things, but it's got its own challenges that the beauty of the system is that you vote with your dollar. Right. And so I know that that's like a euphemistic phrase as well, but it's true, right? Like, if tomorrow everybody decided to stop shopping at some particularly destructive place, they would go out of business, right? Within months, right? And so I think that that's the first thing is like within whatever means you have to try to focus your uh, your purchasing power towards the things you believe in, right? The things you agree with, Um is probably one of the biggest things that we can do every day. And that means the clothing that you purchase, right? It means in, in our case, particularly what we're focused on is the food that you purchase. And that doesn't mean go buy our products necessarily. We'd love it if you did, but, um, you know, supporting smaller companies, supporting organic, um, finding, finding the, if you have them local stores, like if you have local co-ops or natural food stores or businesses that are trying to curate, um, more ecologically friendly products, right? That's how those companies grow. It's how they gain more economic power and the ability to change the system um, is one of the biggest 
one of the biggest things. And it's, uh, you know, my own experience of it having grown up, which we didn't really get into as like this sick kid that had like some kind of debilitating health issues and having been poisoned by the food system is like, you have to take care of your own health as much as you can. Right. And that actually taking care of your own health allows you to do a better job of taking care of the other people in your community and your ecosystem. Um, and that often starts with, you know, food and exercise and putting your feet on the ground and all of those things. Um, I think the other thing is obviously within whatever capability you have is try to find, um, right livelihood, right? Try to find, try to go and work somewhere for people that have a mission you believe in, right? Um, that's a huge, a huge factor of like, you're spending eight, 10, 12 hours a day, um, really putting your energy and effort into something. It's like, do you believe that thing? And, you know, I think that there's a certain amount of, um, disgruntled generations older than our generation that are like, oh, the millennials and the Gen Zers are lazy. And it's like, yeah, there's probably some truth to that. But I think a big part of it is that our generation are kind of unwilling to um, keep supporting the industrial system in the way that it's happening, right? And so, again, if you know, if you can try as much as possible, and I know that that's a challenge to um, work for organizations that you believe in, um, that will make sure that the best talent on the planet is being focused towards the best work on the planet. Mindfulness was the word that came to mind. It's just it's actually becoming real like looping back to what you said as i said just before we came onto the recording mindfulness about our choices you know not just going and and you know so much of what you said you know like listening to the pull of the, our hearts like listening to the wisdom that i think is alive inside all it's like as i listen to you and you you put out those choices i'm like i know i know that to be true and so it's, it seems to me the part of where you're pointing to is like we are so, we and this planet are integrally linked and like that w there's, a, there's a wisdom in humanity that if we listen to it, it's, it's there. And, and, and I, I guess that's what I take away from that is mindfully making choices that as you articulated, which I love, are in support of the cycle of life is the kind of path, the path back from the brink, if that's not too dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could grab that thread, I think you're, you know, Al, that, that mindfulness component is, is spot on. And like, you know, this, this may sound airy fairy, but I really, really want people to listen to this because I don't believe that it is. It's that we truly dream the world into being, right? Everything that human beings have ever created started out as a thought in someone's mind, as a dream, as an inspiration. Um, and, and, and that literally includes like wall street, right? I'm not saying that like only like literally everything, somebody dreamed the idea of the stock market into existence, right? And then told it to other people and then made it happen, right? Somebody dreamed monoculture, soy and spraying pesticides into the world and made it happen, right? And so I think that utilizing our mindfulness and the deep ingenuity and creativity and I guess the brilliance, shall I say, of humanity um, 
we're capable of creating amazing things. And I think that more and more people, we're, we're in this opportunity moment um, because of technology, because of other aspects where we can be designers and creators and entrepreneurs. And that the truth is that there's a group of people that design and create the products and the systems that other people then make the choices about following, right? Um, and that we need more and more people making really great informed choices. Yeah. Well, you, you'll love this, this definition that um, one of our guests, uh, when we first started podcasting, uh, Mavis Khan, she, she put out there and, and it goes something like, we are all divine energy in form with the ability to create our experience of life and observe ourselves doing it. And I think the more people who see themselves as part of the atomic makeup of the universe and the, and the way in which we are indelibly linked to everything and part of the ecosystem and the, and the biodiversity and the, the richness of our surrounds, and then to your point, are able to dream things into existence but then be mindful of what we're doing. And I'm, 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 I'm very hopeful because I'm like you, Tucker, like I'm a half full kind of guy. Um, and I will, I will be there waving the flag till the very end. Um, but, but I think there's, there's, there is this increasing mindfulness where people are looking at it and going, we are observing ourselves making these choices. And and now is time to acknowledge that we can dream something else into existence. And I think that's very, very powerful and very encouraging. Um, and I know I'm personally doing it. I mean, you know, it, and it wasn't inspired by my lunch with you. I was starting to, <laughs> I was starting to do it before before we met. But um, but then you 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 know you. You meet incredible characters like you and and Philip, and 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 you see what people are are dreaming into existence and putting into the world, and uh, it becomes it becomes a very easy path to follow. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are doing it right here, right? With this podcast, you're amplifying the voices of people into the world, and hopefully, hopefully, we've touched at least a few people with a bit of inspiration today, and. Um, yeah, we'd we'd love to hear from you. By the way, if you were inspired by uh, by what we'd said, you can drop us a line for us at uh, chiefoods.us on Instagram or wherever you want to find us. Absolutely, we'll put all your links in the uh, in the notes for sure. And and I would encourage people to go and do some online shopping as well. Um, and hey, when it when when uh, are you taking uh, you're taking the U.S. market by storm? I don't know. Am I allowed to say that you're in Whole Foods? Yeah, you can. Yeah, we just launched into 330 Whole Foods. Thanks for the support, Whole Foods. And um, yeah. yeah, we're in we're in uh, almost all of the Whole Foods. So wow, pretty, pretty amazing. Nice. That's yeah. amazing. Pretty amazing. So, so Tucker, we're we're just coming up. We like an hour has flown by. Uh, it's been the most enjoyable conversation. We have a closing tradition um, on the podcast, which you may or may not be aware of, but, um, which is, um, if you could make your, a bumper sticker for life, what would your bumper sticker say? 
uh, it would say trust in the process of life. Beautiful. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> There's so many. I mean, we could just go on and on with these. Can can we get one from each of you at least before we go? <laughs> oh, throwing it back at us. Yeah. Embrace, embrace your inner end. That's mine. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know what mine. Mine would be choose discomfort. It's the route to comfort. Mm. Oh, I like it. See, I love that each of you didn't pull an old one out. These are new ones from today, and that makes all the difference. Got to, got to, got to keep it original. Oh man, took it. Uh, I genuinely hope that this won't be the last time we have you on the podcast. It would be amazing to have you back on again in the future, and uh, both to kind of hear how the mission goes. But I feel like we've only touched on, we've kind of touched on the surface of the depth of both your personal story and your insights uh, that you've got to share. So. Um, you know, uh, uh, super grateful to have you on the show. Uh, I've been really looking forward to ever since Mark kind of said you were coming on and kind of gave me some insights. But um, it's been really profound, I found, in terms of listening to the depth of your understanding of the world, um, what you're up to, and I think the wisdom that you've offered to me on a personal level, like I'm really taken away. And I'm sure and someone is listening, riding their bike, driving their car, um, they're going to be deeply inspired to to be more mindful in the choices that they make. So thank you so much for that. It's been uh, it's been a real privilege. Yeah. Well, the feeling is mutual. It's it's, it's really been an honor. And, um, you know, thank you for the the, the depth of question. Um, it's It's been really incredible to hang with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm here anytime if you guys want to do it again. Oh, you you bet, mate. We we will definitely have you back, and and maybe we can do a double act with you and Philip, um, and and any of the crew. But um, uh, I just want to say that you, you know it's 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 super inspiring, but it's also very very comforting. I think for a lot of people, when when they get to hear what you have to say, um, and the and the depth of your understanding. But also the fact that you come at it with this wonderful positivity and this this uh, this profound sense of we can do this, and uh, I think people need to hear that, uh, particularly in this day and age. Like we we you know we're we're under threat psychologically. Um, I think given all that's going on in the world, and I think it's just a wonderful message of of and it's an invitation. Um, to 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 get involved and and do something differently and and be part of the solution, be part of the colony, be part of the end colony, and and uh, and 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 learn to coexist in a very harmonious, beautiful way. But thank you so much for the the depth of insight. Uh, I I wish we had five hours to dive into your story. I know that there's so much more. I cannot wait to have you back. And uh, yeah. But in the in the interim, thank you so much. Lots of love and respect to you guys and for everything you're doing and and look forward to seeing you in person soon. Thank you. Lots of love and respect to you both. Talk to you soon. 
Cheers. Cheers, Toko. Cheers, everybody. That is a wrap for this week. Keep making those choices towards the cycle of life. Catch you later. Thank you for joining us on this enlightening journey unraveling the innate brilliance within every human being. We hope today's episode has sparked new thoughts and inspired fresh perspectives. Remember, the power to shatter illusions and unleash your true potential lies within you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite platform. If you'd like more insights and daily doses of inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at alkennycoaching. Or you can connect with myself and Mark on LinkedIn, uh, where we will share articles and perspectives about unlocking your innate brilliance. Remember, you are capable of extraordinary things. Keep believing, keep exploring, and keep shining brightly. Take care and stay brilliant.